All right, time for another edition of uh, Fighting for the Faith. I, I think my new title is going to be uh, Big Dog. No, not meaning that I'm like the, the head dog, but meaning I'm an overweight dog. <laughs> I, who, I don't know who was the bounty hunter on TV. Dog something dog. Wasn't that guy like kicked off the air for some racist comment or something? Yeah. <sighs> well, we got a good program lined up for y'all today. Apparently, the uh, Rob Bell calling me a dog is uh, made the rounds on the internet. We're going to talk about that more today, and the reason why is because yesterday we actually reviewed the sermon that Rob Bell made the comment on, and today we're going to circle back and talk about his comment and and and. I got to challenge uh, Pastor Bell on a few things that he said because it doesn't exactly comport with reality, and so uh, we'll we'll be talking about that. And then uh, later today, I'm going to have uh, the pa- Pastor Ken Silva. Is uh, he's the uh, internet? He's the internet's bad boy of uh, discernment. You know, he's he's the one that you you know he, he gets shot all the time. He's got knives sticking out of his back and bullets that shot, you know, when he, you know, he, they try to snipe at him. He's got, uh, we're going to bring him on and talk about uh, Bell's contemplative prayer practices. He knows a lot about this contemplative prayer business, and I can't say that it's it's really in my strong suit. So I'm going to bring him on and we're going to talk about contemplative mysticism and uh, and so you know we just got a lot of ground to cover today. <sighs> All right, this first email we're gonna do listener email first. This first email is hilarious. Okay, uh, the this is the kind of email I actually enjoy, and it's strange. Maybe it's a sick little pleasure. I don't know. Uh, James writes me. His name is James uh, Blasius. Don't know where James is from, but uh, he he wanted to email me regarding some of the Obama stuff. And here's what he says. He says, uh, Chris, face it. With regard to this Obama thing, you're acting like a sore loser. (laughs) Oh, man. This this is where he starts. Okay, so he says he accuses me of being a sore loser. And now he's going to slip into quasi-Lutheran talk here. And, you know, so I'll have to translate as we go along. He says... It's a left hand, it's a right, it's a hand, right hand kingdom issue. Left hand, right hand kingdom issue. Messiah means something specific in the right hand kingdom, and in the left hand kingdom, it means one who saves in a political sense. And for those of, uh, of you who love the Constitution and have endured rather than enjoyed the last eight years, it's not a bad description. Uh, what bugs me, though, is while you normally go after those who preach heresy or who have gone astray, with the Obama thing, you're going after the world. Well, duh. Never thought Louis Farrakhan would teach bad theology. And and he says, and, oh, neener, neener, neener. <laughs> oh, James. G- great email, by the way. I, I just, you know, I, I got to score it high on the creativity and kind of poke fun at the... Uh, at the radio host guy that just these are the I love these kind of emails. Anyway, you know here's the deal. You know James, I won't admit that uh, no I, let me rephrase this. I'll admit that there's some sore loser stuff going on here. I I'm not particularly thrilled about uh you know Obama's uh, leftist leanings. 
But that aside, um, you bring up an interesting point about the left-hand kingdom versus the right-hand kingdom. And um, in, all, in all seriousness, my issue is not so much that, uh, that Obama won. It's that there's a confusion of the right-hand kingdom and the left-hand kingdom by Obama's followers. When somebody says of Obama, you know, Obama, your kingdom come, your will be done, or Obama be thy name, mixing Obama with the Lord's Prayer, that's a confusion of the right and left-hand kingdoms. And that's actually the thing that's really bothering me about this whole thing. Not so much that Obama won. I mean, granted, I, you know, I'd still be depressed about it anyway. Here we are, it's a week later, you know. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm not thrilled about Obama winning, winning, but at the same time where my bigger concern is because, you know, understand I work the religion beat, you know, I, I do a religious theological radio program. So, I mean, if we were to re- really do socialism versus capitalism and all that kind of stuff, which by the way, did you guys see, uh, Rick Warren on, uh, on Hannity and Combs last night? He, he, <laughs> Rick Warren, a new uh, advocate for capitalism. I mean, it wasn't really necessarily an interview regarding religion. They were asking him questions about economic theory, you know. (laughs) And so I'm thinking, wow, has Rick Warren gone into, you know, political commentary? Yeah, talk about a confusion of right and left-hand kingdoms, you know. So, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks, John. John just sent me a little note here says that he got over the Dodgers losing. So you know, apparently that's supposed to help me out here. The thing is, is that the next the season's over. No one's playing baseball right now. And in the spring, everything starts over again. OK, at the very minimum, we've got four years of a, of a man who's going to govern. And I, I, I'm a little concerned about you know some of his ideas. But more importantly, I'm concerned about the fact that there are people who continue to mix right and left hand kingdom. And uh, James, I'm going to have to challenge this thing that, uh, re- you know, the Messiah is not a uh, left hand kingdom concept. It's only a right hand kingdom concept. And uh, when you when you're changing the term Messiah and applying it in a left-hand kingdom way rather than a right-hand kingdom way. By the way, if you're not familiar with left and right-hand kingdoms, right-hand kingdom is really the kingdom of God, not an earthly kingdom. Okay, it's a it's a kingdom of salvation and repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's not necessarily a visible kingdom. I mean, you can kind of get a you can kind of sort of kind of see it when when uh, when Christians get together to hear God's word and 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 have the sacraments. But uh, left hand kingdom is purely political. It's political. It's a kingdom of power. It's a it's a kingdom. It's a kingdom that has to do with politics, power, you know, guns, war, you know, taxing, and all that kind of stuff. So here's the deal. James, you're wrong in the sense that, that that I don't think Messiah has any bear. It's not a term that should be used in the left-hand kingdom way at all. You know, keep your hands off that Messiah talk. That's pure right-hand kingdom. Now, I understand that people want to somehow religiously allegorize things, but that's the problem. We need to keep our left and right-hand kingdom separate in this point. In this fact, now is Obama. Uh, you know, is is he the is he an agent of change? Is he an agent of hope? And you know, people are looking to him in a left hand kingdom way to make a difference in the world and change the way things are going. Absolutely, let's just keep it left hand kingdom and stop making him out to be a messiah. Okay, this messianic talk is freaking me out. 
Okay, because it's confusion of left and right hand kingdoms, and as Christians, we need to keep that stuff separate. I mean, I, I'll be, you know, I, I I understand the frustration that many of you Obama supporters went through over the last eight years of the Bush administration, and as somebody who voted for Bush, I can tell you, man, um, painful to watch, especially the last four years, just painful. Okay. When Bush came into power, I was thrilled because what was difficult for me was the the Clinton administration. I just thought that guy was, you know, I kid you not, when Clinton was was elected to office, and this is back when I was in college, I, you know, I, back in the days when I had a dot matrix printer hooked up to my one of my first, my, one of my earlier Macintoshes, um, I printed out a bumper sticker for myself and put it in the window of my Toyota Corolla. You know, the day after Clinton was elected, it said impeach Clinton. You know, because, of course, you know, I was being prophetic at the time. But um, so it was really hard for me, you know, for eight years to, you know, to not make hand gestures at the television when I would see Clinton on the on the television, because I, I, I didn't trust the guy as far as I can throw him. I thought he was as phony as a three dollar bill. And, you know, you know, in, in respecting a president, you know, that respect is something that's earned. I understand that we respect the office, but the person holding the office still has to earn respect and trust. Now, I don't know what we're going to do with what Obama's going to do. I really don't know how he's going to govern. You know, that really has yet to be seen. But when his followers call him the Messiah, when his, when his followers say, Thy kingdom come, Obama, thy will be done, when uh, his followers say, Obama, be thy name, th- then that crosses the line into right-hand kingdom stuff, and it's a mixing. It's like mixing law and gospel. Those two should not be mixed. He's a man. He's a sinner. He needs Christ's mercy and forgiveness just as much as I do and um, and uh, you know let's let's not put our hopes on any messianic ideas regarding an earthly king okay that's mixing of the two metaphors and it shouldn't be done you know God kings are very dangerous things you know you, and you, you think about you know Caesars the Caesars you know, you know the persecutions that were state sanctioned you know against Christians during the, the time of the Roman Empire one of the problems there is is that you know people viewed Caesar you know the current emperor of Rome as a god king mixing of the right and left hand kingdoms so that if you didn't give a religious obedience or you know worship to Caesar you were considered some you know some kind of uh, a rebel against the state okay well i got news i will never worship obama and i didn't i've never worshiped bush or reagan or anybody like that they don't deserve worship they're just human beings so you know i i get what you're saying james but i think we need to keep uh, right and left hand kingdoms separate all right now this is a fun one because um <laughs> Richard writes, and he signs his name as Rover. <laughs> he twists God's word. I got an email here where a listener is twisting God's word. Can you believe that? I thought I've set a better example than that. It, it, <clears throat> Richard writes, he says, Hiya, brother dog. Yeah. Okay. He, he quotes the he, 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 he quotes Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 4 out of context. Here's what he says. He says, here's a verse for you. Ecclesiastes 9, 4. For to him that is joined with all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Oh, man. I shouldn't have read it. 
He says, I know that's out of context since Ecclesiastes largely majors on despair without faith being evident, but the kind, it's kind of funny in light of the Rob Bell job. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's funny. Uh, he says, seriously, though, being called a dog by Rob was surely an honor since it identifies that you're not trying to gain salvation by works or tribe, Rob Bell's comment, but through the undeserved grace of uh, through faith in Christ Jesus, lest any man should boast. We're all guilty, therefore thankful for what uh, Jesus Christ has done. If we say that we're not guilty, then we are not none of his, to probably uh, to probably badly paraphrase sections of Scripture. Grace and peace, Rover. <laughs> you know, uh, Richard, a great email. And by the way, you know, folks, my, my feelings are not really hurt about this whole dog comment. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that he called me a dog. And one of the things I'm concerned about in his comment that he called me a dog is that my primary concern is, is that he actually twists God's word. Okay, he really mangled it. What he did is, if go back, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, go back and listen to yesterday's program, the program for November 11th, 2008. And in that program, I do a, uh, an extensive sermon review, and Rob Bell is supposedly exegeting and telling us what Philippians chapter 3 means. And uh, in, when he's talking about watching out for those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh, um, basically Judaizers who are basically telling uh, Gentile Christians they have to be circumcised if they're really truly Christians. And uh, Rob Bell takes that and he reinterprets it through some bizarre contortions that he goes through regarding making it somehow that circumcision is a tribal thing. It's not because that's the general sense of that passage, and there's better passages of Scripture that help interpret that passage, is that it's not about tribalism. It's about whether or not we're saved by keeping the Mosaic law or whether we're saved by Christ alone or if there's a mixing of the two. So Paul, in writing against the Judaizers, he writes against them in several places, specifically the book of Galatians. Okay, you know, if you, that's that entire book is a cross-reference to the Philippians passage. Another one would be Acts chapter 15, um, you know, where there was a sharp fight and there was a council that met in Jerusalem to discuss this issue, whether or not there should, you know, they, they had to be circumcised. And it came down to law versus gospel. Not tribe, but law versus gospel. This wasn't a tribal thing. This is law versus gospel. And that's exactly why Paul talks about confidence in the flesh and why he has none, and then goes on to list all the things that he accomplished in fulfilling the Mosaic law and says that he counts that as worthless. So Rob Bell, he's he's gone out of his way to try to avoid that interpretation and sticks in his own interpretation regarding tribe and it's incorrect it's wrong and it causes him to draw false conclusions but then after he sticks that tribal interpretation in he then circles back and we'll get to this later in 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 the program and uh takes the passage from philippians he says watch out for those dogs and he applies it to me okay now he doesn't name me by name but he names me by my works by my deeds the things that i did so he specifically names the thing that I did and then says, watch out for those dogs. So he's lumping me in with somehow being a Judaizer. Okay, somebody, you know, and using his interpretation, then he's he's basically saying I'm missing the point of the gospel because I'm being tribal. No, I'm, I'm really not being tribal in the way he's defined it. Um, and so it doesn't actually fit. But we'll talk about that later in the program. So, um, yeah, I guess it is an honor. But uh, my prayers go out to Rob Bell that God would open his uh, 
mind, open his heart through a proper reading of Scripture so that he knows what it means. Now, talking about Scripture twisting, okay, talking about Scripture twisting, I've got a uh, product that I featured in the Museum of Idolatry yesterday, which absolutely cracks me up. Um, <laughs> oh, man. This, this one's actually very funny. And the reason why it is funny is because, once again, it's taking a passage out of Scripture. And one of the things I like to feature in the Museum of Idolatry are things that I call Jesus junk. Okay? Slap a Bible verse onto something, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, it's now Christianized, and whammo-blammo, it, you know, we've got a wholesome Christian biblical product. Now, in this particular case, we've got an entire line of food products named Ezekiel 4.9. Okay? Ezekiel 4.9 food products. And according to their website, all of these products were inspired by the Holy Scripture verse, Ezekiel 4, verse 9, that says, Take also unto thee wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millet and spelt and put them in one vessel and make bread of it. Okay? And you're thinking, wow! These guys are actually producing a product that is based upon a recipe that comes from Scripture. It, it sounds wholesome, doesn't it? It sounds like it's from God, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Context, context, context. When you look at the context of this thing, you realize there's an important ingredient missing from this recipe. And when <laughs> you put that ingredient into the mix, hmm, <laughs> Turn with you, turn with me, if you would, to Ezekiel chapter 4. Okay, this is uh, God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, and God wants him to prophesy against Israel. And one of the ways he's going to do it is he, he, wants, he wants the prophet Ezekiel to literally lie on his left side, okay, for a little over a year. For 390 days, okay? And so God is laying out this plan where he wants the prophet Ezekiel to prophesy against Israel. Let me let me read to you God's instructions. Starting in verse, uh, well, actually, let me start at the beginning of the chapter. Ezekiel chapter 4, we'll start at verse 1. Remember, three most important things in reading a passage of Scripture. Context, context, and context. So let me read this for you. This is God speaking to Ezekiel, and he says, And you, son of man, take a brick and lay it before you, and engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem, and put siege works against it, and build up a siege wall against it, and cast up a mound against it, set camps also against it, and plant battering rams against it, and all around it. And you take an iron griddle, and place it as an iron wall between you and the city. So God's commanding the prophet Ezekiel to make a little toy city of Jerusalem here, and to show that uh, Jerusalem's about ready to get sacked, right? Okay. And, uh, and, and between you and it, and set your face toward it, and let it be in a, in a state of siege, and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. So this is, you know, God is commanding the prophet Ezekiel to take a brick and pretend that it's, it's Jerusalem, and then lace, you know, like little army men, you know. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to show everybody what God's going to do. And so you can do that little thing that little kids do, and the little boys, you know, make all the, the noises without words. Because that's what guys do. Anyway, so Ezekiel 4, 4 then continues, And then lie on your left side and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it, 
for the number of the days that you lie on it, you shall bear their punishment. For I assign to you a number of days, 390 days equal to the number of the years of their punishment. So, so long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. So God's telling him to lie on his left side for 390 days. And when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side and bear the punishment of the house of Judah for 40 days. I assign you a day for each year and you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared and you shall prophesy against the city and behold I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side or the other till you have completed the days of your siege oh this like sounds like a really fun assignment from God you want me to lie on my side left side for 390 days and then I have to lie on my, lie on my right side for 40 days and you're going to actually tie me down so I can't move lovely okay this would be a great reality tv show wouldn't it anyway so moving on to ezekiel chapter 4 verse 9 this is where ezekiel 4 9 food products are inspired but they're missing an important ingredient and we'll get to that here we go and you take wheat and barley beans lentils millet emmer and put them into a single vessel and make your bread from them during the number of the days that you lie on your side 390s you shall eat it and your food that you eat shall uh, be by weight, 20 shekels a day. From day to day you shall eat it. And water you shall drink by measure, the sixth part of a hin. From day to day you shall drink. And you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. <laughs> Folks, um, Ezekiel 4.12 says that this bread, this wholesome bread, needs to be cooked on Human excrement. <laughs> they, I don't think they'd be able to sell this product if it was actually baked that way. <laughs> and you know what Ezekiel says? No way. <laughs> Listen to this next part. This is where it gets fun. Oh, man. The Lord said, Thus shall the people of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I will drive them. Then the, And then I said... Ah, Lord God, behold, I have never defiled myself. From my youth up until now, I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor have tainted meat come, has come into my mouth. And then he said to me, see, I assign to you then cow's dung instead of human dung. Like that makes it any better. <laughs> so at the Museum of Idolatry, I have an exhibit for the Ezekiel 4-9 food products that claim that they're getting the recipe from God, but they've forgotten a very important ingredient from this bread, and that's human excrement. Not even the Keebler elves can make that. No, <laughs> the Keebler elves couldn't even do this. Oh, it just goes to show you when you make Jesus junk, you end up looking like a complete fool. Anybody with just a little biblical sense, just a little biblical knowledge, you know, just do a little bit of... Yeah, so folks, do you want to eat Ezekiel 4-9 bread? Because remember, it needs to be baked over human dung if it's to be fully done right. But in case that really grosses you out, cow dung could work in a pinch. Man, that's gross. It doesn't sound kosher. No, it doesn't sound kosher at all. Ezekiel's going, no, 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 not that. Oh, man. All right, now, got another email here. Uh, got an email from Pam. 
And she's this is a great email because uh, she's been she, – here's what she says. She says, uh, good morning, Chris. Apparently she wrote this in the morning. And she doesn't call me Rosebro. Notice how she's you – know, we're, uh, we're not on last name terms here. She's a chick. Yeah, she's a chick, right. She says, I've been listening to your show uh, and often hear you say that you are a dirty, rotten sinner. That is how I see myself. I am a sinner who has been saved by the blood of Jesus. When I accepted Christ, he forgave me of my sins, past, present, and future. Although I am faithfully reading God's word daily and striving with his help because I cannot do this alone to become more Christ-like, I still sin. Okay, we're going to stop right there for a second. Right there. Pam, you're absolutely right. You still sin. If you really understand what God's law teaches. Just read the Ten Commandments from uh, Exodus chapter 20. If you're confused here, if you're not feeling like you're not sinning, really meditate on God's law, and you will realize, man, you still sin. So do I. Okay? Um, she continues. She says, I've been attending a Southern Baptist church and enjoy the sermons. The new preacher talks about sin and salvation each and every week. Thanks to your critiques of a good and bad sermons, I'm now able to see that I actually hear a good sermon each week. But... Now, see, there's that word. She says, I know that you love that word. (laughs) But always erases the things in front of it. It says, we've been studying Revelation in our Sunday school. Last week, the teacher asked a question, and I answered by saying, well, because we all are sinners. (laughs) You can tell there's going to be a problem here. She's in a Southern Baptist church. She answers a question that was raised, and the answer to the question was because we were all sinners. Well, she says, you would have thought that I had said something vile and evil. Yeah, I'm sure you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, that's like when you hear the, the, the record scratching. You know, people looking, huh? What? All right, we continue. Um, she says, no one in my Sunday school class is a sinner because even though we still sin, we are saints now that we've been saved. They gave me scripture to back this up. First John chapter 3, Romans 6, 7, and 8. Well, it's actually funny that they would actually quote Romans 7 because we're going to read that one here. And she says, I left Sunday school feeling as though I should never sin again. And if I do, I'm a terrible, horrible person who just isn't Christian enough. Confusion of law and gospel here, by the way, uh, Pam. But we'll, we'll talk about this in a second. They said sin is our choice. Hmm. And uh, uh, we are choosing to sin. If we, re- if we rely on Jesus and truly have faith in him, then we can get to the point where we no longer sin. Automatically, I would look at them and go, really, how are you doing there? <laughs> Let's talk about this and pull out the law and start reading it. Anyway, so she says, really, I thought that I thought that because we are still flesh, we still sin, even though we are saved, we walk with Christ, but we are, oh, but we always stumble. Okay, now, Pam, what you understand is actually very, 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 very close to the truth, and don't let these folks talk you out of it. I'll give you some scripture to help you out here. So the teacher said that Webster defines a sinner as one who sins. He said that isn't the case. Yes, we still sin, but we are saved, so we are saints. The problem here is that there's a paradoxical situation in scripture that's that we that we live in. They're fa- they're they're only seeing one side of the equation and they're not wrestling with the paradox. He says it, it well if it walks like a duck, sounds like a duck and swims like a duck, it's a duck. What do you call a person who runs? A runner. What do you call a person who sings? A singer. What do you call a person who sins? You call him a sinner. Okay. You're on the right track, Pam. You're doing a good job. Okay. So she says, so I, so was I a sinner saved by grace, but am a sinner no more? I just still happen to sin. No. Am, or am I a sinner saved by grace, but still a sinner? 
the answer to that one is uh, your second one is closer to the truth. Or am I just arguing semantics? I need some serious verses to back up what, uh, whatever answer you have for this. I'm really new in my Christian walk, and this is just making my brains ooze out of my ears. Thank you for your help and direction that you can give me. All right, Pam, easy stuff here. It actually is not too hard. The issue here is, is that um, that Christians are a paradox. We are literally walking paradoxes. And the and the Latin phrase that uh, the reformers came up with is absolutely biblically correct. And it's simul justus et peccator. Okay, we are we are literally walking paradoxes. We are simultaneously justified, which that's the simul justus part, and still sinner at the same time. Okay. Now, let me bear this out for you. So here's the deal. You are both declared to be saint, not because of your righteousness, but because of the righteousness of God. So when Christ declares you righteous, it's not because you don't sin. It's because Christ lived a perfect life for you. Remember Philippians 3, not having a righteousness of our own that comes through the law, but a righteousness that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. What about the teaching at your last, uh, what about teaching at your last church? What was that? Oh, the Baptist church. Well, yeah, I taught at a Baptist church. We kind of went round and round about this. Okay, so here's what happens is is that your 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 Southern Baptist friends in your church, they are they're what they're doing is is that they're looking at one set of passages and ignoring another set. The thing is is that there's two sets of passages on this and they seem to be in collision, but they're not. Okay? If you understand that the Christian life is one of paradox. So, what is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who has been declared righteous by Jesus Christ through faith, not by works. Now, Christians are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. They are raised from death to life. They are spiritually alive. And the Holy Spirit begins the work, if you would, of chipping away at your sinful nature. And boy, is that a painful process. And it lasts a lifetime, and you will never be perfect in this life, nor will you ever get to that point in your life where you no longer sin. Sorry, that's just not the case. Okay. In fact, the Christian life is is one where the longer you do it and the more you really understand what God's law demands of you, the less holy you actually feel and the more you realize you are in complete and dire need of Christ. Okay, That's what it feels like. Okay. Now your good your good works are for your neighbors to see that God is working in you, but it's hard for you to see them. Okay, it really is. Okay, but let me give you some passage here. Okay. Um, do you think the Apostle Paul was a Christian? John, you think yeah, John John just voted for him. I, I think I, I would say probably a really good chance the Apostle Paul was a Christian. <laughs> Okay, let me read to you about how Paul describes himself. Listen to this. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief, the foremost. Okay, Paul describes himself as a sinner. Not only does he start describe himself as a sinner, he actually says that he's the foremost, he's the chief sinner. Paul claims that he's the chief sinner. President of the club. Yeah, he's the president of the sinful club. Okay, now of the sinner club. How can that be, right? How can it be? Well, it, the reason why it is that way is because Paul understood that he was both justified and declared righteous by Christ 
as a gift, and in this life he continues to sin. Let me read to you Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 13. Paul writes, he says, Did that which is good then bring death to me? Well, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, through the, comma- the, uh, uh, through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to uh, do. Not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. Now, if I do the things I don't want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is the thing that I keep on doing. Now if I do what uh, I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells in me. That's Paul writing as a Christian. Okay, so we Christians, we get this fun little thing that we get to deal with. Okay, we constantly get to have our sins condemned and we get to feel like, man, we are just rotten sinners. Why? Because we're sinning. And at the same time, we get to hear about the mercy and forgiveness that's won for us by Christ. We don't get to really move beyond the cross, if you would. And so here's the paradox. We're simultaneously justified by faith and we're still sinners. Our hope then is not to be sinless here. Our hope is in the resurrection when Christ makes all things new. Okay, thank God we're not going to continue on in this sinful flesh, but our hope is in the coming resurrection. Now, let me let me show you another passage of scripture, and then we'll go into our. Yeah, I know. Sin dwells within him. He calls himself the chief of sinner, and so Christians, we continue to sin. We are still sinners, and so that's right. Runners run, singers sing, sinners sin. If you're better than Paul, unless you're better than Paul, right? Now, if you know somebody in the church that is, you know a better Christian than Paul, please let me know. But Paul considers himself the chief of sinners and he considers himself to be um, uh, a Christian at the same time. So how is it, how does this all reconcile? Now, the the real chief uh, verse that got brought up here by Pam is in 1 John 3, 4, uh, 1 John chapter 3, and I'm going to read it. It's actually 1 John 3, 6, but I'm going to read it in context so you kind of get an idea what's going on here. And this is the one that people quote, and the, the reason why they misunderstand is because they don't understand the, the historical context and what John is writing against. But 1 John 3 uh, says this, starting at verse 4, says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawless, practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either known him or uh, has either seen him or known him. So they quote 1 John 3, 6, as saying, see, if you continue sinning, then, you, then you're not really a Christian. Well, that rules everybody out. Not only that, if that's if that's the real correct interpretation of that verse, then we've got a problem because earlier in 1 John, and this is where context always comes into play, folks, earlier in 1 John, John says these interesting words. Let me go back to 1 John chapter 1. It says this, starting at verse 5, This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, that's Jesus, out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Continuing on to chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for also for the sins of the whole world. Notice what's going on there. So if you're going to if you're going to interpret 1 John chapter 3 verse 6 and basically say that oh you can't keep on sinning okay if you're truly a Christian then you're going to get to the point where you're not sinning anymore. That's actually misreading the scripture and what you're doing is you're pitting uh John against John because earlier in the book he says I'm writing these things so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous and earlier than that he says he says if you say that you're without sin then you deceive yourself so how do you reconcile the apparent contradiction well just a little bit of historical work would do get a good commentary um the NIV commentary has just a real simple explanation here okay um, first John chapter three, verse six seems to contradict first John chapter one, verses eight and 10. However, as we have reconstructed the situation, the author simultaneously faced two different problems with these precursors to Gnosticism. Okay. When John wrote this epistle, there was, there was a, a couple of groups of people. Okay. One group was saying that they were sinless by nature liars and another group was basically saying well now that we're born of god you know the, the law doesn't matter anything to us anymore we can we can hate our brothers and, and and we're still christians okay if you know that little historical fact all of a sudden this makes sense okay christians continue to sin and the solution that john gives us regarding our sinfulness is confessing our sins to christ and he is faithful and just and will forgive us he writes these things so that we don't and says if we do then we have an advocate with the father that's christ jesus the lord so if and what does john mean then in you know in uh, 1 john 3 regarding if uh, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning that really has to do with a practice of sin the Christian life is not a practice of sinfulness. The Christian life is a practice of repentance. The hallmark of Christianity is a, is a continued life of repentance and receiving from God the forgiveness of sins. So, uh, Pam, recommend you do just a little bit of homework here. These are, these are the passages I've given you. If you have any other further questions, feel free to write me. I'd be happy. I'd love to answer your, any follow-up questions you have. But Christians are, live paradoxically. We are, we are sinner and saint. It's both. It's not either or. Okay? It's both and. We're sinner and saint. And it's a paradoxical situation that will not be resolved until Christ appears. And we receive our resurrection bodies. And we will live forever with Christ. Sinlessly. Booyah. Or as my daughter would say, woot. <laughs> Looking forward to that day. Looking for, Huh? Right. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to take our first break. When we get back, we're going to uh, have Ken Silva on the line. We're going to be talking about uh, Rob Bell. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, Uh, canceled the adult Bible study, dumped the hymnals, sacked the choir, and put in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to record are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian jerks. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody, uh, expects, uh, expects, no, nobody expects the, um, purpose driven, uh, I, I know, I know, nobody expects the purpose driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do, chief ex- weapons are. our chief weapons are, um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay, and- okay, stop, stop that, stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose, blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are hand-picked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. 
Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, a stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. I am Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Christ. My job, dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment. Basically ask the questions, is what you're hearing from uh, major Christian teachers actual Christianity, or is it something else? Simple way to find that out is just compare it to the Bible. Simple, plain and simple. So, uh, by the way, today's is the first day we've actually, we're going to do this. Wow. I can't believe we're going to do this. I'm nervous about this little thing right here today. We're actually going to start kicking off, uh, requesting for you, my listeners, the listeners to pirate Christian radio and to Pi- fighting for the faith to actually help us financially and support our, our support us by sending in uh, gifts and donations that allow us to offset our, uh, offset our co- our production costs, help pay for uh, our marketing and advertising that we want to participate in so that we can continue to grow our station and expand its 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 listener reach. So <clears throat> having never asked for money before, this is the first time I get to do this. Um, basically, want to remind everyone here, Pirate Christian Radio and uh, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. Okay, so your financial support is needed for the continuation and expansion of of this important uh, radio outreach. If you would like to partner with us and uh, send in a gift and do- or donation to help us continue with this ministry and help us continue expand our reach, please do so by uh, making a check out to Pirate Christian Radio and sending it to Post Office Box Seven Nine One. San Juan Capistrano, California, or SJC for short, 92693. That's Pirate Christian Radio, Post Office Box 791, uh, San Juan Capistrano, California, 92693. Would really love to hear from you all, and this is an opportunity for you to participate in what we're doing. All right, now I've got on the line, I've got uh, Pastor Ken Silva. He's the pastor of Connecticut River Baptist Church, and... uh, also the author of Apprising.org. Pastor Silva, are you there? Yeah. You mean if the, uh, if the, if the listeners like send in money, I won't have to pay $100 to be on the show anymore? That's right. If, they, if the listeners support us, then I won't actually have to charge my guests anymore. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, Doug Padgett, I made him pay for the phone call when I interviewed him. I, I heard that. <laughs> There's a story behind that, actually. Um, Is there? Yeah, I was, uh, I was staying at the La Quinta Inn in Schaumburg, Illinois, and you know, and what happened is, is that um, you know, I I don't have a calling card anymore. Back in the day, you remember you you know, if you didn't want to have to get raked over the coals, you you carry a car a calling card with you or a prepaid call plan or whatever. Right. And um, now we live in the days of cell phones, and um, the, the connection would have been terrible if I'd call them up on a cell phone. Plus, I don't even think I have the equipment to do it. So I called the front desk and said, "Hey, listen, I got to make a phone call up to you know." To Solomon's Porch, they're out. Of, they're a couple of states up from us. What are they in Minnesota or something like that? In Minnesota. Yeah, they're in Minnesota, and um, and they said, well, uh, Mr. Roseboro, it would be uh, two dollars a minute for you to make the phone call. I'm, so I'm thinking, okay, I want to do an hour long conversation. That this would have cost me some serious bucks. It would have been 120 bucks and some change just yeah. to do the interview. And so I called up uh, Doug Pageant, and in my 
most contrite <laughs> and begging, pleading voice said, "You know, Doug, would you mind calling me because otherwise it's gonna this this is gonna cost me 120 bucks." Said, oh, no problem. So, so he ended up paying for the phone call, but he didn't pay 120 bucks. You know, no. but to so those hotels, they they you know they got you in there, and if you have to use their landline, they'll kill you. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> is that the reason why I brought you on the show? I think so. By the yeah. way, is, is your check in the mail so that we can get... No, I'm right. I told you. I, I, then I won't have to pay 100 bucks to be on the show. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, I can get on the show. Right. Now, uh, now I think you've heard the news. Uh, uh, Rob Bell called me a dog. Yes, I have heard that. <laughs> We're going to try to get some mileage out of it. And, uh, and well, he questioned my salvation last year. I, rem- well, I remember that. Tell, tell us a little bit about uh, – give us the, the story there because I remember you writing about that, that Rob Bell questioned your salvation. Now, he didn't right. mention you by name, but I, he was being no. interviewed in a major magazine. And, and uh, if you just did a little Google work and you know, figured out what he was referring to, I mean, he, the, the guy pretty much considers you to be a lost guy. <laughs> well, the the reporter actually mentions about criticism to Rob. This is from the story, you know, the actual story itself. And Rob says, well, I don't pay attention to critics. And the guy mentions in the story, if he did Google his name, Rob says, I don't Google my name. And then the reporter says, well, if Rob did Google his name, he would immediately come up with a prizing ministries. And they talks about, the reporter talks about Ken Silva. And then he asks Rob about people who are critical of the emergent church deal uh-huh. and and rob says well the emergent church movement is you know a conversation about jesus and anyone who's upset with that i i would question whether they're even a christian okay since, so since i'm you know a, one of the major critics of rob bell and the emergent church um it's pretty obvious my name would have come up right so apparently i mean because you're critical of the emergent conversation you're probably not a christian that's what he said now, is there any biblical basis for this? I mean, can we? Is there are there any passages that basically say if you're critical of the emergent conversation, then you're not a Christian? No, not in the actual Bible. That's in the, the McLaren. Version. That's in the McLaren version. Okay, yeah. so the 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 McLaren International version, the MIV. <laughs> the MIV. The MIV. Yeah, that's what it is. No, well, let me ask you: Who is a Christian? How do how would you define how would you define that? You know, who is a Christian and who isn't a Christian? Well, I mean that's that's open to discussion, isn't it? That's part of the conversation, I suppose. Oh, but, well, but for, well, you're on a radio program. Let's discuss. But for those of us who are biblically based, um, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, right? And disciples are those who have been regenerated by God the Holy Spirit and are now living according to the law of Christ. But they don't like the word law, but. Okay. Paul, Paul even mentions that he's under the law of Christ. Okay. So the Christians are those who are actually doing what you see the apostles teaching in the Bible that they were taught by Jesus. Okay. Those of us who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh-oh, you, you, sound, you, you sound like you could potentially be one of those wascally reformer types. You know, you, you, yeah. do you, do you, are, are you guilty of ever reading Calvin? Um, I, I have read Calvin, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I, I detect that here. That automatically disqualifies you, though, from the conversation. Don't you know that? I've, I've read Luther, too. See, yeah, well, <laughs> now, now we... A now volume set of, a uh, seven-volume set of all the sermons right in front of I can see that this would be a problem. It, you're probably modern in your thinking, too. 
You know, actually, um, I think I go back to biblical, which is prior to modern. I, you know, I, I tried to make that argument, and it didn't work with it, with an emergent person I was talking with. No, you don't, you don't understand. You you come to the Bible with modern assumptions. We are oh, postmodern, okay. and you know, right. you know, as as if it was the modern people who invented propositional truth claims. Sure, yeah, yeah, it was. It wasn't until Descartes, you know. I think, therefore, I am. Voila! Now, you yeah. see, before that, ever they had never even heard of a propositional truth claim. It was like inventing fire or something. And the masses well, of I'm, humanity, you know what? <gasps> I'm just one of those funny guys that if Jesus says, "Father, Thy word is truth," uh huh, I'm gonna take that at face value. You know, you're just, uh, you know, we got problems with you already. I can, yeah. Anyway, enough of my snarky comments. The reason I brought you on, the, yeah, the reason I brought you on fighting for the faith, though, is because you know a little bit about contemplative, uh, this whole contemplative movement that's going on. Uh, can, yeah. Tell me a little bit about contemplative spirituality and Christianity. I mean, I got a dose of it yesterday. We'll play that uh, that opening, uh, the first couple minute opening from Rob Bell's sermon yesterday, and it really creeped me out because it, it sounds like Eastern mysticism. And, um, you know, I'm looking at this going, man, this is this is not even biblically familiar to me. And I feel like I'm hearing the voice of a different shepherd. So tell us a little bit about contemplative prayer and how is how is it making inroads into Christianity? Well, contemplative prayer is is not at all what it would seem. It's neither prayer nor contemplative. Contemplative contemplation would be with, with someone's mind. Okay. As, as Jesus would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Okay. So, so you and I would look at the word contemplate or meditate, and we would be thinking about what we're reading and thinking about what I'm praying to God. Right. So as a biblical, as a, for lack of a better way of putting it, one of my spiritual disciplines, <coughs> sorry, is that I, I you know, on a, on a regular basis, I'm reading my Bible. I'm marking it thinking and meditating on it, inwardly digesting it, really, you know, focusing in on, on what the passage means and trying to dig deeper and deeper into what it into what it is that God's conveying in that. Is that what we're talking about here, or is this something else? It's something else. Okay, what is it? What it is, is going beyond what you just said. Okay. So if you, if you were to ask someone who's into it, I'll, I'll answer the question for, you know, as if I was someone like Richard Foster, who's a major teacher of it. Mm-hmm. In fact, the spiritual disciplines you were making a play on words with, that was taught by Richard Foster in 1978 in, in Celebration of Discipline. Prior to that, you don't see that term, spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines. You don't see it in Protestant writing. Okay. But if you if you answer the, queer, the, the, the question, what is contemplative prayer, it's essentially, it's also known as centering prayer. It's the same thing. In fact, you hear Rob Bell say that. We're going to center ourselves. Yeah, centering okay. prayer. What is that? Correct. It's the same thing. Contemplative prayer it, it can also be like slash centering prayer. It's the same thing. It's a meditative practice, and you essentially focus on a word or repeat a word, which in the Eastern terms is a mantra. Okay, so so I've heard of the Lectio Divina, which either you read your Bible and then you see a word pop out at you and you and you kind of run that word through your head a bazillion times. Okay, Lectio Divina is part of this. Okay. Okay, and and they're they're practices that you do not find in, and you obviously don't find it in Jesus' teaching. Right. You don't find it in the Apostles' teaching, which is our New Testament. Mm-hmm. And it comes along, and even if you ask Thomas Keating or some of the major guys that do this, they're Roman Catholics. They will tell you that it starts with the Eastern Desert Fathers. Okay. They live in the deserts of Egypt, 
and the Bible's not really big on stuff that comes out of Egypt, by the way. But it no, comes I, out of Egypt, and they'll all say that. Okay, so you're saying that this is these are meditative practices that, quote, come out of Egypt. Now, Egypt is a, is a land of idolatry and uh, idolatrous practices. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so, so these desert fathers, that's what they're called. They're really, they're what I call apostate pre-monks. They're, they're not, the monastic system hasn't developed yet. We're talking right in the neighborhood of 300 A.D. Okay, so we're talking about the guys that, that uh, Athanasius writes about in his book, uh, The Life of Antony. You now, know, in fact, Anthony's one of those guys. Got exactly. it. Okay. Okay. Now, those guys are having a, a reaction to the fact that Constantine did a bad thing. Okay. Christianized, you know, made Christian the formal religion, and of course, all kinds of pagan garbage gets in it, and it becomes later the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So these guys have the right motive. That's bad. They go, that stuff's bad. They have the wrong solution. They're going to go out and live in the desert and stay, you know, like in solitary confinement in caves, and that's where the ascetic practices start. Right. And so you're out in the cave in, in the deserts of Egypt. You don't have a lot of time. I mean, a lot of things to do, so you've got a lot of time on your hands. Okay. And you've got to kind of fill that up. So they come up with this, this idea of contemplative prayer. So the question that you should have, or a person should have, is, well, where'd they get the idea? Well, while they're out there, they're running into Sufi Muslims, they're running into Hindus, they're running into Buddhists. Right. Okay. So the spice, the the guys on the caravan uh, trails, the, the the spice traders, you know, coming yeah. from the east, they're bringing their meditative practices with them. And yeah, and, and see if this doesn't sound familiar. So they start having interspiritual dialogues to find out how God's working in those guys' religion. Uh oh! It sounds like you're throwing a gauntlet down. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, does that sound familiar? That's yeah, familiar. It, it, it really does. I mean, you know, the question, you know. What does uh, what does Hinduism have to offer Christianity? My answer: nothing at all. Exactly, but there's one practice that, if you're contemplative, that you have in common with the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Sufis. And what would that be? It would be meditation. Okay. So, as the the desert guys and hermits and hermits, as they meet these other people, the one thing they find out is, hey, this meditation. So the 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 Christian people so-called, try to make that Christian. And so they come up with contemplative prayer. Legio Divina comes a little later as it gets into the monastic traditions. Uh-huh. After Benedict, so we're after about 500 or so, where Benedict comes along with the rules of St. Benedict and that stuff. Right. So now they've taken this idea of, of solitary life, which is already anti-biblical, because Jesus says in John twenty twenty one, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Right. So, if, as I said in one of my pieces, if those guys can make the case that Jesus and his apostles lived solitary lives in caves, then we can have we would we have discovered ancient Christianity. Huh. The problem is Rob Bell and these other what I call spiritual knuckleheads are going back to the Dark Ages, okay, past the, past the Dark Ages, back into the lives of these hermits. Yeah, I don't. I I just looking across the history of Christianity, the Dark Ages and the ages of monasticism and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they, don't they call it the Dark Ages for a reason? Yeah, and it, and it later comes along where God is so sick of that, so tired of it, he raises up the Reformers. Right. And and so why do you think that all of this stuff that Rob Bell's doing in these different guys, why, it's interesting, it always attacks the Reformation. Have you ever noticed that? I, I have noticed a common theme there. We've got to yeah. get, get rid of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. That's the, the, new, uh, the new perspectives on Paul, the emergent church. Well, uh, Get rid of uh, the uh, substitutionary atonement. That's got to go. Well, you, you brought up the new perspective of Paul, and if, if people go back and listen to um, 
Rob Bell's version of Philippians. Mm-hmm. That he is that if if you know the NPP New Perspective of Paul as someone like I do who studied it this past year, mm-hmm. you can recognize he's bought into it big time. Yeah, and, yeah. And the and the basic thing that New Perspective of Paul does is it attacks justification by faith because it reinterprets Paul. Okay, mm-hmm. and so the Judaism of Paul's time in their wrong thinking is not a religion of um, you know works righteousness. It's, a, it's salvation by grace already. Uh-huh. And so what Paul's talking about is ways to stay within the covenant community. Right. So that's why you hear these emerging guys constantly using that word, covenant community. It's really, if you start, it's like, I hate to say it because it sounds so mean, but it's as if the emerging church guys go into history and find every bad piece of theology that's ever been out there and try to put it all together. <laughs> so all the heresies that the church yeah. has rejected, they've found a way to kind of stitch that together as a patchwork quilt and yeah. embrace and, and warm themselves up in it, right? Yeah, but, you know, staying on the topic of contemplative, there was a, a, a fellow by the name of Ignatius of Loyola. Oh, now, yeah, we Lutherans love Ignatius of Loyola. I, I, I thought you might. That's why I brought him up. Yeah. And, and see, now, if you read emerging literature, he's a good guy. He came up with the with the Ignatian exam and all these cool spiritual disciplines. And, uh, wasn't he of like they a forget what else he was doing? Jesuit. Um, yeah. <laughs> we don't. We Lutherans don't like to mix it up with those guys. And we end and up dead. Take, and you take like Saint, so-called Saint Teresa of Avila, who was really basically a mentally disturbed nun. Oh yeah, Saint Teresa of Avila. That's, yeah. She was. Wasn't she married to Jesus? No, that was Catherine of Siena. Don't we don't want to go there about the, the oh work in oh I'm sorry I, I confused my my but it's peas in a pod it's the same thing they're having these subjective experiences right. of Mary and Christ uh huh the problem with Loyola and Saint Teresa there is they are counter Reformation figures which ought to send up a red flag immediately right if we the Reformation that means that Luther and those guys are contemporary to those guys they uh-huh. knew who they were. Right. So, so my point is, how can how can you at all think you're a Protestant and buy into any of that monkey business? They, those guys were doing spiritually. Well, maybe your problem is that you're just engaging in tribal thinking. Yeah, the tribal thinking. <laughs> well, well, you know what's interesting about his tribal thinking is he, he at the at the end when he's going into his big thing about how you know. Well, you know the tribes, and he does his little football analogy. I'm an ex-football coach, so I right? Know right. Then he gets into like he was walking or running. I guess he's out running, and he and he wants to throw up when he sees those church signs. Yeah, actually, t- tell you what, I don't 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 steal your own thunder here. We're going to play okay. that quote on the other side okay. of the break. Right. I, I, w- I want you to actually respond to it because okay. I, 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 I I'm looking at my sh- uh, my program notes here, and I wanted to play this for you and basically ask the question: Is is Rob Bell being hi- hypocritical? Well, I'd like to answer that. Yeah, I, I I thought you would like that one. I'll throw you a softball, you know. Thanks. But um, let me um, we're, we're running a little late on our breaks today. But see, the thing is, is that I can do that. <laughs> yeah, you're not like when I was in radio. I was programming and, and yeah, d- knock you right off. Yeah, don't talk to me about talk to me about hard breaks. Okay, I yeah. have not yet figured out how to hit a single one of them. It's when when Roseboro feels like taking a break, he takes a break. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? So uh, here, here, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually play the uh, opening portion to this uh, sermon that we reviewed yesterday, and I want to talk about this contemplative aspect of it. So sure. without any further ado, let's, uh, let's get Rob Bell here. Uh, Rob, tell us about this contemplative stuff. Here we go. 
Hi, everybody. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Um, try to keep up. October, chapter 3. And um, if you don't have an outline, I highly recommend an outline. There's some very, very complicated drawings on it that will help bring some order to what we're going to look at. And um, I'm just thrilled that you are here. And so let's take a moment. Um, let's take a, a few moments of silence, take a few deep breaths, and then uh, I'll say a prayer, and then um, we will read today's kind of passage from the Bible. Okay, hold on a second there. Pastor, he, he wants to have a moment of silence. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've had moments of silence when I've gone to, like, secular sporting events right after 9-11. You know, we had a moment of silence. Okay. Um, I don't see any precedents for moments of silence in Scripture. Can you think of any? No. Okay. Just well, let me, so I'm not crazy here. I just No, I'm no. I, I think you're being biblical. All right. All right. Well, let's continue. Okay. They're having silence, by the way. And they're breathing. You can hear them breathing. It sounds like Darth Vader. Yeah, the breathing church. It's the breathing church. The Lord be with you. Yes. I am your father, Up Rob. To the dark side, Luke. <laughs> so, God, we, uh, we center ourselves. Got to stop right there. What is he talking about there, Pastor? What does it mean? I don't even know how to center myself unless you were to, like, stick me on a fulcrum and I can find my center of gravity. You know, but what is he? He's not talking about sitting in gravity boots. What's he talking about here? The stuff about breathing that he's doing right there is straight out of his Numa Breathe DVD. Okay. It's not like he isn't teaching this elsewhere. And it's based on, if you remember about two years ago, a, a breathing sermon of his made rounds on the internet. Yeah, I, I and, vaguely remember that. And the whole idea about centering there is contemplative slash centering prayer. What the wrong thing, what they're doing is they're, they think they're going down inside themselves. They're centering down inside themselves. And that comes straight out of George Fox or the Quakers. Man, I don't want to go down inside myself. There's, there's scary, dark spiders and icky, gross sins down in there. No! The contemplative says <laughs> that inside we find our authentic self. Oh, You're I don't... talking about the false self. No, 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 no. So they're basically saying I can find my authentic self as if that's a good thing, down somewhere inside of me. You've never read Thomas Merton? Well, I've read parts of it and kind of got creeped out by it, but continue. Thomas Merton said inside of us is a place untouched by sin, where God dwells. What? So, yeah. That's Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander, page 158. Not like I haven't read it before. <laughs> so you see, what it is is a repudiation of the doctrine of original sin. Yeah, well, yeah it's an outright contradiction to it. Um, so somewhere yeah. deep inside of myself is my authentic self that hasn't been tainted by sin. Yes. Okay, now, I'm, I'm officially creeped out. Now, not every contemplative will go that far. By the way. Okay. Well. Well. Good. Okay. I so mean, the, so the, the contemplative lights like the Bill Hybels and Ruth Haley Barton's, they probably wouldn't go that far. Okay. But they still will talk about an authentic or a true self where if you get rid of the false self, see, they take that psychobabble in. Right. And they, and they go like, well, they've got some of that psychobabble, and like, yeah, there's some truth to that, which there isn't. Of course, it's, you hit it on yesterday. It's called S-I-N, sin. Mm-hmm. And the heart is desperately wicked above all else who can know it beyond cure. Yeah. That, I, I'm, so, I'm so sinful, I don't even know how sinful I am. That's how bad it is. 
Yeah. Well, it's tough when you and I get together because we hit people with a lot of stuff all at once. Yeah. But anyway, uh, if you go inside yourself, they say, you're going to center and you're going to meet God there and dwell in his presence. That's essentially, in a nutshell, what, they, what he's trying to do. Okay, just, here's a Lutheran question. Is there any passage of Scripture that where, I, where God promises to meet me inside of myself? No. That's kind of a problem. And if you're meeting God inside yourself, how do you know that's God inside yourself and not like you had a bad pizza or something? Exactly. See, in my, good for you. I mean, it, it could be bad blood sugar. Just have an orange. It'll go yeah. away. So it ain't, it ain't just you Lutherans, you know. Uh, okay. Well, okay. So, uh, uh, okay. So, when Rob Bell is saying, "Lord, we center ourselves," right? Uh, should that be some kind of a major red flag? Should we blow a horn? I mean, what do we you know, throw a flag and you know whistle and you know, say there's a foul on the play? What I mean, what is this? Yeah, we should because if you recall in that sermon, uh, actually, let me quote from uh, the Breeze DVD. Please, Rob tells us that this is Rob now, ancient rabbis. You know how he likes the ancient rabbis. Yeah, and Jesus. Ancient rabbis believe the letters Yah of Yahweh, uh-huh. what we the tetragrammaton, uh-huh. Y-H-W-H. He says actually those functioned as kind of vowels in the Hebrew language. Uh huh. And then Rob says they believed that they were kind of breathing sounds, and that ultimately the name is simply unpronounceable because the letters together are essentially the sound of breathing. And then he goes, <laughs> God, bye. Is the name of God? The sound of breathing, end quote. And, and then he goes on, he says that in the same way these ancients, whoever they are, came to understand that God actually dwelt inside of people. Bottom line is this. The contemplative believes that there's a divine spark or a spark of the divine, that God indwells all of mankind. And that's the belief Rob would share with Marianne Williamson. Uh-huh. Well, that's what I heard Deepak Chopra say last night on Hannity and Combs. We're going to talk about that probably same on thing. tomorrow's program. Yeah, same thing. Because if you remember in that brief sermon, uh, do you recall where he talks about Nelson Mandela? Yeah. It ain't Nelson Mandela. Okay. Did you know that? No. Who was it? Okay, he quotes, he makes a quote. I'll read the quote to you. Quote, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond all measure. It is our light not our darkness that frightens us the most. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, famous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. And there's one last part. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that people will feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is within everyone. Now, he quotes that in that sermon and attributes Nelson Mandela. Wow. I just read you pages 190 and 191 of A Return to Love right. by uh, Mary Ann Williamson. Oh, wow. He, he didn't realize that's who said it. My point there, though, is, okay, you could know, you know, you could misquote somebody or whatever. Right. But could a Christian pastor agree with a New Age goddess that there's a spark of God in everyone? We're all God's children? I don't think so. Yeah. But Why? now you know how he can sit on the stage at Seeds of Compassion and go, that's great. Uh-huh. He's at home. <laughs> yeah, stepping on some toes there. Let, let's let's hear the rest of this uh, quote from Rob Bell, and then we'll take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll we'll do a little color commentary and some other stuff here. Hold on. Here, here's the rest of that quote. We're, we're going to breathe deeply here for a moment. God, as we breathe out our worries, our stresses, our anxieties, 
Injustice. Breathing out injustice. Didn't know that was possible. <sighs> you ever heard well, of confessing uh, sin? I mean, what, what does John want us to do with our sin? He says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Instead, he's having us, rather than confessing our sins, he's having us breathe out injustice. Yeah, it's just contemplative foolishness. All right, continuing. Uh, Here we go. No reality. Suffering. God, we want to breathe in your peace. Does God anywhere in the Bible promise us that we can breathe in his peace? No. All right, just, all. just checking. I, uh, you know. he, he, in fact, he promises all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yeah, okay. Second Timothy 3.12, you won't be on a panel and they'll go, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're shut. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Great comments, though. But let's continue. Your love, your grace, your shalom. God, we want to breathe out all the ways in which it seems like things are falling apart. We want to breathe in hope that it can be put back together. Uh, anywhere in the Bible where we can says we can breathe in hope so we can put things back together. Uh, the, the prayer that I'm hearing from him is like him telling God what we're going to do. Yeah. I, yeah it's not a wise choice. Yeah. I, I, kind of, I'm in charge of this contemplative thing, God, and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Yeah. Huh, all right. I'd like you to come along for the ride, God. Well, you know, that's what he does. He's here to support us in what we do. Because, you know, he wants us to be great. Yeah, let's so much God is. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, let's, let's hear some more of this contemplative prayer. Hold on. Oh, please. So wherever we're at, God, we ask you to speak to us this morning what we need to hear. Uh, we need hope. We need truth. We need a compass. We need to be grounded in something. And uh, as we look at this passage, which is kind of so complex and obscure... Yeah, all right. <laughs> it's really not that complex or obscure. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the easier passages in Scripture. Yeah. But if, then again, if you're just if you can't accept the fact that Christ died for your sins and that you have His righteousness imputed to you by grace through faith, then you know we've got to go to this tribal stuff. Anyway, yeah. we're gonna go. On, we're gonna take our second break. So stay with us through the break, Pastor, and then we'll do, we'll do some more fun color commentary here. We'll, we'll play the dog quote and, and see if you think that's really about me. And then we'll we'll get to this hypocrisy thing that kind of falls right on the heels of it, and uh, and get your uh, response to it because I just know that having you comment comment on it will cause some to gnash their teeth. So, which yeah. is really what I exist to do. So. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm definitely popular. Right, right. So, uh, anyway, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and if you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on the program or from yesterday's program or a previous program, please feel feel free to do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, and we're talking with Pastor Ken Silva, who is the uh, pastor of Connecticut River Baptist Church. What, what what's the state again there? Uh, we'll talk to him on the other side. <laughs> anyway, we'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases 
can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at newreformationpress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and this is Chris Roseboro, and uh, I've got uh, Ken Silva on the line uh, from Connecticut River Baptist Church. What state are you in there, Ken? New Hampshire. New Hampshire. That's right. It's it's cold up there. Yes, it is. Yeah, we're we're suffering for the Lord out here in very warm weather in Southern California. Yeah, it must be tough. It's somebody has to do it, Pastor. Somebody well, has. I used to, to live in Long. I used to live in Long Beach, so it's nice. Oh yeah, it's really good weather. But uh, we're we're talking about uh, Rob Bell. We've been talking about contemplative mysticism, and uh, we're you know what we I want to do a little bit of commentary on uh, the sermon where he he calls me a dog, and uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to fast forward in the sermon, and uh, and just you know. Ken, you remember because you know we're part of the, uh, the what do they call us ODMs? Yeah, online discernment ministry. Yeah, that's that's a, it's a term of derision, and sometimes what do they call us watchdoggies and things like that. So there's other people yeah. who've, who've referred to us as as uh, watchdogs. You know, Dan, Dan Kimball of the Emerging Church calls us watch poodles. <laughs> watch poodles. Yeah. So uh, apparently, this whole dog theme is is a theme that runs through <laughs> runs through our critics. And uh, and so I think you you know I I remember your site was covering what I was doing back in fact just to get a little bit a little history I had applied for a press pass uh, to go to the Seeds of Compassion event to actually see Rob Bell live in the in the media pool uh, and when he appeared at the Seeds of Compassion because I remember when the uh, when it was announced that he would be there we all pretty much said. Oh, he's going to be speaking in a panel of people from all different world religions, and I, what you and I had what a fifty dollar bet that he wouldn't actually preach the gospel. Well, it, something like that. Yeah, yeah. something. No, <laughs> we didn't actually bet money. We, we weren't wagering, but yeah, we we 
we were pretty sure he wasn't going to say that. No, I, I was. I, I, in fact, I was ninety nine point nine percent certain that Rob Bell, as a member of the Emergent Church, and as somebody I've you know I've read Velvet Elvis and Sex. Because remember, his friend Doug Padgett was there too. Yeah, we didn't cover Doug though because we kind of considered him a small fish compared to Rob Bell. But uh, it was, so, I mean the same the same leanings. Oh, so, oh, absolutely, yeah. So because you've had Doug on, so that's what Rob believes. Well, yeah, exactly. The, the, they're two peas in a pod. So what happened? What happened though is is that I think once the uh, the the people who were deciding who gets the press passes uh, took a look at my application, they said, "No, we don't want that guy there." So, what? No. See, that's the thing. If if I apply for a press pass and they deny it to me, then you know what? That kind of gets my ire up. Sure. You know, so you know, I I had to make sure that I covered it. So what I did, I I found the live video stream that they were doing of the of the event itself, and. I on my website a little11.com because I'm the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. I I was uh, jipping a video pieces and posting them up and commenting on it uh, as it was happening in real time. And uh, I think you and uh, and some other websites included the slice of Laodicea. You know, were pointing people to a little leaven. You know, because and, and the things that I was saying because it was ha- you know I was trying to do it as in, in real time as much as possible. Sure. And so we had a lot of traffic on that particular day. So I you know you remember the event, but um, so Rob Bell uh, speaks about this, That's and right. um, and he mentions it in this sermon yesterday. We played it yesterday, and I didn't really get a chance to react to it. Aside from the fact of pointing out that he calls me a dog, you know, people have called me worse. I mean, it's not like my feelings are hurt. I just think it's kind of interesting. So what I'm going to do here is so that you kind of get the fuller context is I'm going to play it from about the 41 minute, 33 second mark so that you can see how he transitions from his talk about tribal stuff to actually talking about um, talking about the Seeds of Compassion event. And and so understand the context of the sermon is on Philippians chapter three, where Paul's talking about those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh, and Paul then takes Paul's, uh, uh, Rob takes Paul's uh, imagery and applies it literally to me. He doesn't mention me by name, but he mentions me by deed. So uh, here's uh, Rob Bell talking about this. To be world centric. So so you see what's happening in Philippians is all people are experiencing the saving love of God expressed in Christ. That's what's happening in Philippi. And there is this group of Jewish Christians who are going around to these all people who are experiencing God's saving love for the whole world expressed in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And they're saying, wait, 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 wait. If you're really going to be legitimate, you have to do our tribe's rituals. And Paul is saying, beware of anybody that wants to take the gospel the wrong direction. Uh, uh, yeah, i got to comment on that because... Yeah. Read the passage in context, folks. It's not about tribal rituals. It's about whether or not you're saved by keeping the law or saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And when you when you put it in the categories of law versus gospel, grace versus law, which of the categories Paul's dealing with, it's clear that this is not about tribalism. Yet, we'll get to your po- your point here in a minute here, Pastor. You know, if, if he's really telling us the truth about this tribal thing... Um, there's a great hypocritical quote that we'll get to in just a little bit, but let's let's continue with Rob Bell here. Beware them dogs. Now, next slide. 
the three words he uses when he describes these people, and he is cranked up about this. First word he uses, he uses the word kinase. Now, to a very good religious Jew, the word they used for everybody who wasn't them, who they said were unclean, is they called them dogs. So Paul, in this brilliant judo move, says, you see yourself as clean, and you see all these other people as dogs. But in your efforts to convert everybody to your tribal ideology... Uh, I've got to stop him again. That's not... See, he keeps putting that tribal ideology thing there. That's actually not that's in the not text. That's not a liberal theology. No, he, he's inserting this in the text. It's not tribal... It's not tribal identity. It's it's no. it's salvation by works. Correct. Hey. Yeah. But that's his new perspective of Paul, a liberal leaning. They're 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 taking their they're interpolizing that back in. Right. You know how is it? I'm a Lutheran and you're a Baptist, and we we don't even come to the, from the same denomination. We both see this because we're both Christocentric. Oh well, you're supposed to be world centric, aren't you? Well, according to the Dalai Lama, who is quoting. Yeah. Ugh. All right. We continue. You think they're the dogs and you're clean, but you're now actually the unclean ones. <laughs> Boom! Next one. Kakoe ergatai. Kakoe is where we get the word kaka. It means bad, evil. Ergatoi works. I know, I love saying that. Kaka? Kaka. It's bad, evil. Evil workers or doers. He says, in your efforts to get people to conform to your tribal-centric, small worldview. You think you're doing good works, but it is actually destructive. Uh, i got to correct him again. It's not tribalism. It's in your belief that you're somehow righteous by your keeping of the law. You are being destructive. That's the correct interpretation. That is correct. All right. Just, you know, just want to make sure I'm not crazy here, you know. So he's bringing in the, what they call the new perspective of Paul. Right. He, we're denying uh, the, the substitutionary atonement. Correct. And yeah. we're replacing it with community talk and tribal we'll talk. To, yeah, we have to get rid of the that understanding of the cross if I'm going to be pals with the Dalai Lama. Well, see, as soon as you get rid of the offense of the cross, you can be pals with anybody. Well, yeah. they were oh. awful happy to see him there. Yeah, they were. And they enjoyed having pancakes with him and praying with him, too. Yeah. All right, we continue. The next word. Katatome is unbelievable. Katatome, the word for circumcision is peritome, which means to cut around. Circumcision, to cut around. Somebody will explain that later. To cut around. He calls them katatome, which means to cut to pieces. You come into this church full of all these people from all these tribes, and you start saying, unless you do our tribal rituals, then you aren't really legitimate in God's eyes. He says they come in wanting to cut around all the uncircumcised men, but they're actually cutting everybody to pieces. Again, not tribal, law versus gospel. Just you know. Right, and even though the Judaizers were wrong in their application, right. the application was originally given by God. Right. I think we ought to mock that. No, exactly. It wasn't It wasn't some tribal ritual that they invented. No. God, actually, God actually commanded it. And yeah. the thing is, is that they, you know, these people were thinking that they were saved by a Torah of works or Torah of law rather than a Torah of faith. And that was Paul's right. point. 
and today, Rob is we're saved by a Torah of good work. Of course, you know. Funny enough, you know, he's sitting here lambasting these Judaizers. Yet his theology actually comes, leads us back to a Torah of works, which puts him in the same camp as these uh, Judaizers. Don't you love God's sense of humor? Oh, it's really funny. All right, we continue. Ooh, let's keep this up for a second. What's he mean? Uh, earlier this year. I got to do this event in Seattle with the Dalai Lama. And uh, they had this, before the main event, where we did like this kind of panel discussion thing, there was this uh, breakfast first thing in kind of this hotel kind of conference room. And it was just, the event itself was unbelievable. At one point, um, and one of the questions, I got to talk about forgiveness and how it's really hard to forgive people. And... When you choose to forgive people who have wronged you, it's going to be really painful because you're going to have to absorb all that pain, but it's going to transform you. So talk about how when you forgive somebody, it may, it, it may feel like a Friday, but Sunday's going to come. No, notice here in his answer, and by the way, what I'm going to do, folks, is I'm going to put a special edition of Fighting for the Faith up, which is basically going to take the two segments where I talk about this on a pre on previous editions of Fighting for the Faith and make it its own standalone uh, episode because I don't want to reinvent the wheel or kind of go back over stuff that I've already gone over. But if you haven't heard my programs where I uh, critique what Rob Bell actually said at the Seeds of Compassion event in context in the context of what the Dalai Lama said. Because at the Seeds of Compassion event, the Dalai Lama said that all religions are pretty much the same. They they have different philosophies, but they produce the same results. And that's a result of the fact that the Buddha made it that way so that we'd all think the Buddha was really wise. That was what the Dalai Lama said. And so the context of this of this event is that Rob Bell is one voice among many religious voices, and the Dalai Lama had proclaimed that all religions are pretty much the same. You have a problem with that, by the way, Pastor? <laughs> I, I do, if unless I understand what liberal theology teaches in the first place. See, liberal theology and what Dalai Lama is talking about, they all think that man came from the same place and... Like there was some kind of a fallout. They, each religion has a different way of saying it. But in other words, we're all one big brotherhood. And if we just realize that, we bring peace to the world. That's the central message right. that you know, Dalai Lama has or all of these people. But what Rob Bell said, Chris, in, in his idea of forgiveness, uh-huh. he, he, he really enunciated a Buddhist understanding of forgiveness. How so? Because if you listen to the way he talks about forgiveness, He's got the right idea. Yeah, if we forgive people, it's going to be painful, blah, blah, blah. What he left out was, Ken Silva, as nice as I'm, I want to be, I can't forgive people except in the power of Christ. Uh, okay, yeah, I he, need the power he of Christ that. to overcome my flesh. Right. But to the Buddhist, that's why you, if you watch the video, you'll notice Roshi there, uh, Joan. Oh, yeah. He nearly comes off her seat excited, and the Dalai Lama's like nodding his head. Because they understand the same thing he's talking about, only they think they can do it through their meditation as human beings. Right. And Rob didn't make any differentiation, did he? No. In fact, I'll put a link up uh, to uh, the video so that you all can see it, because you're right, Pastor Silva. Roshi Joan Halifax, who is a Buddhist uh, nun of sorts, you know, she's a, an abbess. Of, in the... Roshi means a, a, a master, so she's a master teacher of Buddha. Right. Buddhism. And uh, and you'll see that as as Rob Bell is sitting there pontificating about this this it, this disincarnated forgiveness, 
um, she's sitting there beaming from you know ear to yeah. ear, you know, thinking, "Oh wow, this is just great spirituality." And they're not being confronted with Jesus Christ and the offense of the cross. No, they're, because if you read enough of this stuff as I do, you'll find that they kind of Buddhists and uh, Marcus Borg, the ones that are really off the deep end of this, that right. call themselves Christians. Uh huh. They they look at Buddha and Christ as like the same. And and I even have a Marcus Borg book where he says that if the two met, if Buddha and Jesus met, they would have recognized each other. Because <laughs> they're both master teachers. Uh-huh. That's what his point is. Now, I don't want to get off on that, but my point here was the reason Roshi Joan, a Buddha, Buddhist, is, is nodding her head is because she recognizes the Buddha teaches the same thing. Mm-hmm. The difference is, in, in the Christian life, we know that the human being can't do that apart from the power of God. Right. So God gets the glory. Yep. What Rob says, man gets the glory. And that's the difference between Ken Silva and Rob Bell. Right. I'm building up Jesus Christ. He is trying to unite all of mankind. Well, Rob didn't even mention Jesus at this event. I no. mean, the, the Dalai Lama talked about the Buddha extensively, but uh, Rob Bell didn't. Jesus never, the words never crossed his lips. He was a spiritual sissy is what he was. <laughs> He did not stand for the Christian faith. He was a poor excuse of Christianity. And, you know, I don't. He, he, the reason I'm going to come out and say that now is because listening to him bash the gospel and bash other Christians like he does in the part that you're going to play later. Right. He came as close to attacking the gospel as he's ever come. Last year he questioned my salvation. Now he's calling you a dog. I'm saying to Rob, good. Now we know what's at stake. Either you're following Christ or I am. Nothing like a good line in the sand. You know, it helps us because the emergence yeah. has been like jello. So, yeah. you know, nothing like a good, hey, you know, you're wrong. and uh, Either I'm right and you're wrong or you're right and I'm wrong or we're both wrong. But there is no other two ways about it. And so. even Joe Martino, who goes to his church, has basically come out and said that and no, pretty much said, well, Ken and, you know, Chris, if we listen to you, you know, maybe you got your own absolute truth, but I don't think so. So even he's been getting understanding. Hey, I, I, I don't mind the lines. All right, let's continue. We're going to get to the dog quote here momentarily. So he's talking about him at this event, and uh, we'll continue because this is supposedly a good thing for him, but let's continue. It may feel like a death, but there's going to be a resurrection. And the Dalai Lama clapped. And I was like, your holiness, give it up. Now, uh... Uh, I can't bring myself to call the Dalai Lama his holiness without choking. I don't think a real Christian could. Because he's not holy unless he's in Christ. Correct. All right, we continue. There's this, the first thing before the main event was this, this breakfast with a smaller number of people. And I cannot tell you the, the, the sense of the place... Um, Roshi Joan Halifax, kind of the leading Buddhist nun in America, and, and Ingrid Watson, this um, unbelievable uh, Muslim scholar, kind of the leading female Muslim scholar in America. And you, have just, you just have every nation and every tribe in one room. And I was astounded with how many people said to me, oh, you're a Christian pastor. We're so glad you're here. One woman just said, about time you people showed up. I mean, it's just, and I'm having this sense, sitting there, and the Dalai Lama's 10 feet away, and Bishop Tutu is next to him, and, and I'm, so, I'm having this sense, like, there is nowhere in the world I would rather be than right here, meeting person after person who says, I'm so glad 
you're here. You know, the thing is, is that why were they glad that he was there? Because he wasn't bringing Christ and him crucified. I don't think that would have been so welcome on the stage. Do you? No. Well, I think what if you look at it when uh, the comment where he says, we're so uh, about time you guys, you people showed up. Yeah. Is they're looking at now we have a type of Christianity that fits in with our one world religion that they're trying to get right. at. Right. We got that. We, we no longer have to deal with their stupid exclusive claims to Jesus being the only way. We finally yeah, got somebody who, who, who sees that we're all from God. The only problem they have is as long as Ken Silva's breathing, they won't have their one world religion. <laughs> I can only speak, you know, definitively for myself, but you ain't going to ever catch me on board with that. Yeah, I, I to tell you what, you and I can we can be outsiders together because I I just I just don't right. see myself jumping on the one world religion bandwagon. No, because Rob was there as an supposedly as an ambassador of Christ. Right. He should be telling the other tribes and religions and so on how to get to God. Right. Repent and believe the good news that Christ has died for your sins. And say it as politely and gently and lovingly and is and 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 he's also saying, like, well, you know, Ken and Chris wouldn't want to have been there. How does he know that? Well, here's the deal. He doesn't. I I would have only attended under the circumstance that I could have been frank about the truth about what Christ teaches. Well, I couldn't think of anywhere else I'd rather be either if I could have a frank discussion with these people. Right. But see, the thing is, is that you know, somebody wrote a comment on uh, on the Fighting for the Faith website, basically saying they felt sorry for the because this was a this was a children's event, by the way. The, 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 this, oh yeah, you know the, the all the stuff it's that was going. Doctor, it's an indoctrination program going on in schools in Seattle. Right, they they had bust in public school kids for this Seeds of Compassion <laughs> event, and this was a youth ministry outreach. And and the, and somebody wrote in and basically said they they felt sorry for all these kids who heard that all of these religions are pretty much the same. They have the same result. Just pick the one that that suits you. They all lead to the same place. And and there and there was Rob Bell, who was supposed to be an ambassador of Christ because he's a Christian pastor and. He didn't say anything that distinguished himself from that message whatsoever, or distinguished right. and, Christianity and, from that. And you could say it in a pleasant way. You could say, well, excuse me, uh, no, that's not quite right. You know, you could say it in that right. tone of voice. Right, you, you could, could say, say that Christ is the only way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as well as these other people have their right to believe what they want to, and I respect that and everything, um, in my opinion, they're not, that's not, that's not true. He could have said, "With all due respect to the Dalai Lama, sure. but Jesus I'd Christ." Call him, I'd call him Sir because I'd call someone pumping gas, Sir. Yeah, Sir Lama. Out of, re- out of respect, right? All right, we continue. Here's here's more Rob Bell because we're getting to the offending quote here. But you know, of course, the commentary along the way is always fun. Somebody leans over to me and says, "Hey, uh, there's protesters outside." I'm like, "Who would protest this?" Well, Isn't it interesting? He has no. Co- Why would anyone want to protest this? <laughs> <laughs> he has. So, there's nothing in his moral compass or even theological compass that would make him say, "Hey, there's a problem here." They but, still think guys like Rob Bell. I'm not speaking for him personally. I'm using him as a, as a lesson of people that seem to believe what he seems to espouse. They think that they're going to get together with all these world religious leaders and they're going to discuss everything and we're all going to come to peace. Okay. Because they don't understand. Jesus said, "I came to bring." division right it will always be so and they think it was before he went to the cross no he was saying after i go to the cross the division's going to come right father because against ten, mother husband against well, wife i'm estranged from some of my paternal family because they don't believe the way i do and i'm a little strong for them so 
You know, in other words, they don't want me around. Right. It's that I don't want to be with them. Yeah. It's that they don't want to hear the truth, and I'm sorry. All right. All right, so here we go. We're, we're inching closer now to the offending dog quote. Here we go. Who is it? And they're like, Christians. And then a friend of mine says to me later, Oh, man, in blogosphere, you are getting killed for being there. He says they're actually showing clips of you on stage with Don Lama and, and, and the interaction. They're actually showing, and then just crucifying you for being there. Yeah, no, no, no. Is there anyone else he could be talking about here? Because I'm pretty much the only blogger that had the video clips up. You, you work with me at my Christian Research Net. Yeah. I have up in front of me on the screen, in my computer, April 15, 2008, Rob Bell's comments at Seeds of Compassion, a little leaven has posted the video. It's you. Right. It, so, okay, just want to make sure it's me he's talking about here because, yep. you know, we weren't cru- crucifying him. We were critiquing him. Crucifixion is not even close. Yeah. Like the words are going to hurt you, Rob. Yeah, apparently now if you critique somebody biblically, that's a form of crucifixion. All right, we continue. Google my name. Be where them dogs because they will tell you that god has saving love for the whole world but they won't even have breakfast with the nations okay that's so he so he he talks about me and what i did and then says beware them dogs and they'll tell you that christ has saving love for the whole world but won't have breakfast with the nations the problem isn't the breakfast no. The problem is the judgment he just made against you, which is false. Right, well, yeah. Had you been asked, you'd have been there. Only under the condition that I could speak frankly about the exclusive claims of Christ. Well, again, they have to ask you in, in such a way that you want it, that you could go, but right. you would have been there. Right, no, if they, had, if they had invited me and said, and I had said, listen, you know, this, I, this, I'm not really comfortable with this because I'm concerned about the one world religious stuff, and if, uh, if somebody asked me a question, I'm going to tell them what Christ said, and Christ is extremely exclusive, which means I might have to say to everybody on the dais there that unless they repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone for their salvation, um, then Christ says that they face judgment. Um, you know, they may not want me there, you know. Of course they don't want you. They wanted the shills that they had there, Doug and Rob. Mm-hmm. Because if you, in fact, in one of my pieces, I found a guy whose, whose father or something or his uncle had to, had to do with the co- committee that put it together. Right. And it said they were looking for evangelical pastors like Rob Bell or Doug Paget, who could come in and, and be Christian but not be divisive. They were looking for guys like that. Well, he fits the bill. Because <laughs> if you read it, it's like it doesn't... I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but it says the event is anchored in the, quote, deep wisdom of the Holy... Well, whatever he is. Okay? Uh-huh. It, 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 was, it was set up to promote the Dalai Lama's teaching. Right. Because the Dalai Lama, he is the 14th um, reincarnation of the world soul. Right. Okay, so he's the highest there is of whatever it is before you get into Nirvana and forget everything you ever were, which is, like, ridiculous. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was whatever. his event. It was the Dalai Lama's event. It was there to promote his teachings. To the Dalai Lama, Chris, what religion you are is irrelevant. Right. Because, at best, Buddhism is agnostic. I don't know who they think they're praying to. Right. Because they, they, God is irrelevant because they believe that their teachings, the teachings of the Buddha, can perfect the human being. Right. Now projected into... Let's teach the young kids how to be go from ethnocentric or egocentric or whatever it is. It's out of a book by Dalai Lama. Yeah, I can show you. It, it comes out of Ken Wilber's book, A Theory of Everything. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, I've got a quote online where I can read it to you, and I'm not, not going to take the time now, but I'll, I'll put it in one of my pieces and people can read it. But right. Wilbur, he, it, um, Rob Bell mentions him in uh, Velvet Elvis. Okay. It's in uh, footnote 143, so i got it right in front of me. Right. Rob Bell says, For a mind-blowing introduction to emergence theory and divine creativity, set aside three months and read Ken Wilbur's A Brief History of Everything. Okay. That's where you're getting the egocentric, ethnocentric, blah, blah, blah. And they could sit there and talk to Dalai Lama about it, and, and Rob and Dolly, will, you know, they'll, they'll nod their heads. But what's missing there is the power of God to regenerate dead people who are in sin. Right. That, that's that's conspicuously that. missing. Conspicuously. Yeah. And now, and see, here's the deal. My critiques with Rob, it, it, is, as far as him being there, it, I, did, I don't have a problem with him having breakfast with the nations. No, my, sure don't. my beef at this point is that he's representing Christianity at, on this multi-religious uh, dais, and he's not even bringing Christ and him crucified at all in uh, no. the offense of the cross and the exclusive claims of Christ. The issue mm-hmm. here is not that he was there. It's that when he was there, given the opportunity to preach the gospel and ex- you know and proclaim salvation in Jesus Christ alone, he completely biffed it. He wasn't yeah. even on the field. Right. I agree. I'm, I'm 100% agreed with you. That, and that's what you were saying all along. Yep. So, I mean, you know, sure. In if fact, you... in one of the pieces on Apprising Ministries, uh, and I'll even give him credit, uh, Henry Rick Frew actually did a transcription, you know, for, you know, help me do it. And I put it on of what exactly he says in those video clips. Right. You can read it for yourself. There's no mention of Jesus. Nothing in there is going to lead anyone to Christ. Right. But you listen to the, the video clip number three, there's uh, the, the sheep guy speaks, and then that Muslim lady he was talking about. Right. And they both mentioned their God. They mm-hmm. both mentioned their faith. Right. So Rob didn't mention his faith because I don't think he's got the guts to do it. Well, he didn't mention Jesus. I mean, we, we Jesus did not make an appearance at that event. He, Jesus was no. not there. He was not even represented no. by a Christian Jesus pastor. Jesus said, you know, that sin's going to come, but woe to him who the sin comes. Right. And that Rob Bell was ended up leading a bunch of people to think stuff about Christianity that's wrong. Right. And they need to understand that seeds of compassion, Chris, it wasn't just a little program. It's in the public schools in Seattle. Right. And it's teaching Buddhist you know, methodology. Yep. And it was very well covered in the secular media around the yeah. country. Yeah. At the time. All right. We're, we're going to continue with this quote. And I, we've, I got another. It's going to start here in just a couple of seconds. And my question is, is, is there some hypocrisy? Because, uh, you know, moving past the dog quote. OK, so he calls me a dog. Who cares? Um, Rob, I forgive you. And I forgive you in Christ, even though you're not going to ask me to forgive you. Um, you know, I forgive you in Christ for calling me a dog. You know, the, the thing is, is you need to represent Christ and preach Christ and him crucified for our sins. That's the biblical message of the gospel. But he, in his sermon, went out of his way to talk about tribalism. And then he turns around, and I think in a very <laughs> hypocritical way, starts getting tribal on us. Let, let, me, let me play this quote so that we can kind of hear this and see if you guys hear any hypocrisy. Beware those dogs. Now, uh, this week, I'm out running, and I run by a church, and the church building out front has one of those backlit signs where they change the letters each week to tell you the name of the sermon. 
These signs are hard for me. I don't find them clever. I find them horribly annoying. They are a stench upon my nostrils. Now, isn't he being tribal here? Yeah. He's, ju- he's, he, he's judging a sub-tribe based upon the, the signs in front of their church, right? That's what I see. All right. That's, well, that's kind of what I hear, too. Let's continue. And I am, um, in the summer, this church is prayer-conditioned. Not funny. Um... I hear I hear judgmentalism and mockery. No question. That's exactly what it is. All right, let's continue. Sign broken, message inside, or my personal love-hate non-favorite is CH-CH. What's missing? You are. You know, we always say, Americans, we won't stand for torture. Yes, we do. So in his little comedy routine here, he's mocking them, holding up for them for ridicule, and calling it torture. Right. right. Couldn't, couldn't someone else, let, let's say like myself, say when he's doing his little junior high routine with the caca there, couldn't I also ridicule him? Well, but, you're being no, tribal. I'm, I'm wrong if I do that. Yeah, you're being tribal when he does it, but apparently he's not being tribal when he does it. See, there's a, there's, there's a disconnect here. Let's continue. Uh, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. As I'm jogging by and I'm reading the sign, I literally have this thought. That sermon sounds so insanely boring. I mean, this would make people take up golf. And... Now, he's not speaking from a tone of superiority, is he? Well, didn't he just insult people who don't think, who don't think golf is boring? All right, we continue. I like golf, by the way. I do, too. Yeah, sure. Beware of that dog. Beware of that dog that tells you that your tribe is better. That you warned us about him. He, didn't he just warn us about himself? That's exactly how I see it. That's exactly He's what saying, he beware of that tribe that tells you that they're better than another tribe, and isn't he just ridiculing because I'm a, a subject? I'm a little better because I'm teaching you how they're wrong. You can't get around it. Right. That's why tolerance doesn't work, because as soon as you have a position, you've now not tolerated something else. It doesn't work. It's a really wimpy and self-defeating proposition here. I mean, uh, hey, I have no problem with saying, you know, hey, listen, I could be wrong. All right? I'm pointing things out because I believe that they're wrong. They're not correct. That's untrue. It's darkness, not light. But he's talking, he's trying to warn people about people who are being tribal, yet he is being perfectly tribal in mocking and condemning this church and their signs. I think that's exactly correct. All right, let's continue because there's a little bit more here. Your church gets it. That your theology is more progressive. That your budget is more fiscally responsible. Isn't he doing that? It's exactly it. Or your gospel is more social concern. Apparently, yeah, but he's, he's, he's warning people about this in a way that makes me go, Rob, aren't you being an advocate for your own superior, more progressive gospel? Postmodernism, All right, we continue. Postmodernism doesn't work. No, it doesn't work at all. This is self-defeating and ridiculous. We continue. Your building is all about the people and God and not about the 
Beware of that impulse. Now, substantive discussion about what it means to be a follower of Christ in 2008, brilliant, let's have it. But that impulse that says, we get it. I'm not boring like that. (coughs) Excuse me, but isn't he acting like he, quote, gets it and somebody else doesn't? Didn't he literally call the other thing boring? Right. sermon? He, he says, beware of them dogs, but he, then he turns around and acts like the dog that he's trying to warn people about. In, in fact, he uses a qualifier, doesn't he? Doesn't he say that sermon sounds incredibly boring? Yes. So he's even gone incredibly beyond what he just said. He's rebuked himself. I mean, Which is true. I agree with him, by the way. I mean, isn't that like Jesus' descriptions of the blind leading the blind? They set a trap for somebody and they're blind and they fall into it themselves? That's exactly it. Hi, this is silly. Okay, continue. Human reasoning. Yeah, here we continue. Our tribe is a little more relevant. Our tribe cares more about the poor. We understand the context of the scriptures better. Therefore, we beware that dog. He's telling us to beware, and yet he's speaking from a position as if his way of viewing things is better, more superior, and... All that kind of stuff. Self-defeating. Chris, the very last three things he says is Mars Hill. Uh Uh-huh. Bible Church. We're more socially concerned. We understand the context better because our our teaching pastor, Rob Bell, just explained what all these tribal things and whatever stories he made up. Right. His whole sermon built up to a big crescendo of him shooting himself in the foot. Right. In other words, really, the, the, the big thing here is not that he called Roseboro a dog. It's that he inadvertently called himself a dog. I think that's probably what I'm going to call this one. Rob Bell calls himself a dog. I think that's an excellent title because, unfortunately, it's true. This is ridiculous. I mean, there's a lot of churches I disagree with, but I go, well, hey, if that's how God's working with them, that's fine. As Uh, long as they're, you know, you can look at their doctrine and you go, okay, well, they they believe the right stuff. Right. You know, I'm not a big one on running around the church or whatever or, you know, certain types of worship, but I can't say it's wrong just because I don't think so. Right. So I don't. I don't do exactly. I don't do the things he's saying that we we should. I agree with the point he's making. But <laughs> who is he to pontificate that stuff as if the other people are doing it? And he isn't. Right. He's doing the exact same thing. That's the thing about hypocrisy. Is it's it's so you're so blind to the fact that you're the one engaging in it. Yeah. Oh well. This, this sermon is is as I said to a couple of people. It's it's the closest I've heard him going to war against people like myself or you. Right. With, well, with the belief system that he thinks we have. Exactly. See, we don't actually have the belief system he, attri- he ascribes ascribed to it. Right. He actually incorrectly, first of all, he incorrectly uh, comments about what I commented about him. He doesn't address the real critique that I have. No, it, and, and they don't. You know, you it, know in talking with people from his church, and I've had a chance to talk to a few of them, they, they never address the substantive part of your, of your argument. Oh, you can't do that. Because they can't. Right. And the whole bottom line is, especially if you're postmodern, you can't really have a position because everyone in postmodernism has a right to believe whatever they want. If that bench over there that I see as black is white to you, then it's white to you. Right. Which brings you back to, to Ignatius of Loyola, by the way. <laughs> he said if the church says what we see as black is white, then it's white. <sighs> that's Ignatius. So maybe that's why they like that stuff so much. I see. All right. Well, I, I think we've pretty pretty much beat this one to death, don't you think? 
I think we did. We should let the dogs out. Yeah. Who let the dogs out? Oh, man. So, uh, that, that's... You know, it's funny. When I hear that, it reminds me back when I was coaching football, our linemen, that was, we would say, where, where are our dogs at? And they would bark that. Ah. Because the linemen are always a little, little different. I, well, yeah. I've never played football, so I wouldn't know. You, know, hey, you need you need the big fellows up front. We'll uh, leave it at that. I remember the refrigerator. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was quite a piece of work. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Pastor Silva, thank you for coming on Fighting for the Faith today and, and doing some color commentary today. And well, so, I'm glad I had the phone to do it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. The last time we had you on, you had all kinds of phone problems. I've got two phones now, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm two fisted phoner now. Right, so uh, the name of this uh, episode of Fighting for the Faith is going to be Rob Bell Calls Himself a Dog. And, let me know when you get it up. Yeah, I'll let you know. Because ultimately, he that's he ends up taking his own weapon and cutting himself with it, which is rather sad and tragic and bizarre all at the same time. And our hope for Rob Bell and our prayer for Rob Bell is that God opens his heart, opens his mind so that he can see his sinfulness and his idolatrous false doctrine and repent and believe the gospel that Christ died for his sins and that there's no salvation offered to humanity in anyone else except for Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, not Allah, not Muhammad, not uh, Shiva, Vishnu or anybody else or any vague spirituality out there, but only in Jesus Christ. That's Amen. our hope and our prayer, and that he would be an ambassador of that gospel and the kingdom of God that comes through that gospel message. That's our hope and prayer for him. So We've, we've said it many times, it's not personal, it's not that we don't like Rob Bell the man. No. No. I hate what Rob Bell the man teaches. Yep. But I, I love Rob the Bell the man, and, and he seems like he's a pretty nice guy, but that's another issue. Yeah, and he dresses a lot cooler than I do anyway. Yeah, he's it, way cooler than me. Yeah, way cooler. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, if I tried to dress like that, I'd just look stupid because I'm overweight. So, <laughs> anyway. Well, I, I have the perfect face for radio. <laughs> I noticed that. So, yeah, I, I, on your Facebook profile, you have a, a, a gorilla going on there. So, just, I thought. See, that, well, you call me a gorilla. That's my own picture. <laughs> That's not very nice. Oh, forgive me, forgive me. So, <laughs> anyway, Pastor, thank you for coming on. All right, thank you, brother. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, there you have it. That was uh, Pastor Ken Silva. Yeah, he, Connecticut, uh, River, uh, Connecticut River Baptist Church in New Hampshire. So, And uh, and he's got a website, apprising.org, and he also runs uh, christianresearchnetwork.com. Um, and a lot of people consider him the bad boy of the internet and they just don't like him. It's a good reason to have him on the program because he's, he's a little bit of a lightning rod. Kindred spirit, spirit, apparently. (laughs) I appreciate him coming on, helping with the color commentary there. Anyway, if you would like to email me uh, regarding anything you've heard in today's uh, program, please do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And as we sign off here, I want to remind people that uh, Pirate Christian Radio, Fighting for the Faith, is listener-supported radio. That means that we need your financial support to help us continue to pay our bills, offset our finances, you know, and, and help us expand this important international outreach. Because we're, we're listening to it in over, what, 54 nations now? crazy so uh, you can uh, you can support us by sending your your, your gift to uh, pirate christian radio p.o box 791 san juan capistrano san juan capistrano california 92693 thank you for listening and until next time god bless <laughs> <laughs>